0: Hello and welcome to Pete's Percussion Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Zambito, and we're here for episode 324 and my conversation with percussionist and composer Ksenia Kolmienovich and pianist and composer Liana Pilodza Haran, also known as the Vesna Duo. We'll get to them shortly. But first up, semester's over. Yes, we made it. Grades are turned in. Whatever comes up next is great, but we now have some band items to finish out the year, and I'll tell you more about them next week. But I also just returned from a brief sojourn to the Midwest Band Clinic in Chicago, where I caught up with and said hello to a few podcast guests, Keith Alejo, Nathan Daughtry, Joshua Smith, Eric Willey, and Alexis C. Lamb. I also caught Brian Zader's presentation on solo percussion literature, And spotted others from a distance, as one does at conferences. It was also great to be there to represent the University of Missouri and its music program. While there, I caught a number of bands Brian Zader's Percussion Clinic, as I mentioned, and a really good performance from the Rockwood Summit Percussion Ensemble, the only group from Missouri presenting at all this year, which included works from previous guests Dave Hall, Ivan Trevino, and a premiere from Cliff Walker among many others. My favorite thing, though, was not in either of these particular styles, but was a session from teachers from a middle school in Las Vegas that discussed using mariachi music as music education and included performances from their middle school group, Mariachi Azul. It was tremendous. And I loved both getting to see a whole section of female trumpet players play awesome runs and a small kid completely shred on the guitaron, an instrument that was about the same size as he was. It was so good. I really enjoyed it. And now we transition and get to today's guests, the Vesna duo. This group is comprised of Ksenia Kolyanovich and Liana Pylodza Haran, and they were playing at this most recent PASIC. So it was great to check in with them at the time. I'd had Ksenia on the podcast in 2020, soon after she joined the At Percussion team, and we had a great time then, and I knew we'd have a great time again along with her duo partner, Liana. The Vesna duo did a showcase concert at PASIC this year, which focused primarily on Ksenia's arrangement of Igor Stravinsky's The Rite of Spring for marimba and piano. I had seen them perform this virtually during the pandemic, and it was great, but it was even better finally seeing this in person. This performance may have been my single favorite thing from PASIC this year, as their clear chemistry and high-performance technique came through in the performance, which was incredibly well-attended and well-received. In this interview, we talk about how Ksenia and Liana came together as a duo partnership, the arranging of the work and its extraordinary reach, the challenges of recording, and many other items. And as one does... We start by discussing the pronunciation of all of our names and how that becomes a challenge. So, here we go. We recorded this interview over Zoom on October seventeenth, twenty twenty-two, and it begins right now. Don't say this because this is how this is how Casenia uh, has to deal with Casey just purposefully mangling her. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> <All> right
0: <laughs>
2: that's pretty good I love it
0: <laughs> <laughs> And is it uh, pali- paliozza? pal paliozza
2: it's go with the pie pie-loadza.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Pie-loadza.
0: <laughs> pie-loadza. oh I oh I didn't oh yeah okay Piodza
1: We yep. all made that mistake before I also when I first met her I swapped those too. <laughs> letters around gotcha so good really
2: i genuinely have zero care about that so okay (laughs) i also also, when i got married i took my husband's name for that reason oh sure easy heron and and now everyone says Haron. (laughs) yes
0: of course (laughs) (laughs) oh that's yeah that sounds about right (laughs) my 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 wife did not take my last name and and her last name is meisenbach and we're just like pete like (laughs) Table. What name should we put it under? Pete. Pete <laughs> every time, just cut it. Just we're not even going to deal with that.
1: No, that uh, would have been really funny if you always made a point of making it uh, Meisenbach Zambito. Yes, the- yes, both.
0: W- w- Why? <laughs> no, we are both separate people who are happening <laughs> together, and we want to be acknowledged as such. And I know we're out of chilies. When
2: yeah, <laughs> Just want those short ribs. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Whatever they have. <laughs> Some sort right. of ribs, I remember. <laughs> right,
0: exactly. Ksenia okay, and tell me about what you are doing at PASIC this year and when your performance is also.
1: We get to perform our fabulous uh, or promote our fabulous new album. So, we're going to play the Rite of Spring with a couple of additions, a couple of cute uh, little things to add on top, cherries. And we are performing on Friday at 11 a.m. in Wabash. So, come around because I hear it's a huge room. I remember it being a huge room. So, we need to fill it up. It's going to be super fun. And we're going to even have a, a guest, a friend, who's going to come on up and join us for the jam.
2: I like that it's. Uh... Eleven eleven at eleven a.m. November eleventh at eleven eleven a.m. So it's eleven eleven at eleven.
1: Hell, <laughs> nice, good for us. Wow. <laughs> <You're> so cool.
0: <laughs> well, well done, everyone. Can you
2: say eleven five times really fast in a row? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know, Ksenia. Actually, when we when I had talked to you uh, a couple of years ago, this was, I think. I don't remember if it was close to being done or like in terms of your arrangement, I, what, what, can you talk, talk through a little bit the timeline of, of you putting, you know, your work on putting this together?
1: Yeah, I know I'm trying to think about it and I can't remember where in the stage, in the process of this, uh, did you and I, I mean, for our episode, but, Liana and I, this all started as heartbreak. We were supposed to play in April of 2020 in Carnegie Hall uh, as guests, as chamber music partners to our dear friend Mityanilov. And of course, everything went too. And uh, none of that happened. So we were on the phone Because I missed our rehearsals. I didn't get to really meet her in person to make music in person. We sort of met once in passing, but we had so many mutual friends and played with a lot of mutual chamber music partners. And we got on the phone, and uh, I just remember feeling really so heartbroken not just for the fact that this was supposed to be, you know, so special because we love all those people that we were supposed to play with. And the music was awesome. But also I met her over the phone and I was just like, Oh my God, I can't believe I'm missing out on hanging out with this person. She's so lovely. But of course she always turns everything into creative moment immediately. And she just said, Hey, we can redefine our first musical encounter. So let's just do something that's crazy. And I said, okay, cool. Let's do the Rite of Spring because that seems really insane to me. And uh, I, uh, she was really encouraging, really lovely. We played this email ping pong where I would send her a movement every day or every couple of days and she would edit the piano part for me. And so that was sort of mid-2020 and we decided we met up a couple of times at the end of that year safely. And then in 2021, we... Uh, In February, we premiered it in Texas. In May, we recorded our album, and then we released it uh, a year later. And voila! In the meantime, we've had performances. We performed at Chamber Music America. So this thing really grew nice long legs and is now running. That's that's my. uh, that's my perception. I think Liana can tell you that I was a monster and that I barraged her with emails.
0: Yeah, this is point counterpoint now. <laughs> Go ahead, Liana.
1: It was
2: a fun experience. I, I was shocked that first. You know, when we talked about it, I asked her what would be the you know the craziest thing that we could do, but something you know we have to make it count. So what could it be? And she immediately went to write of spring. So sure, why not? Let's do it. And literally three weeks later, I, I had the whole ballet in my inbox waiting for me. I I think I was sight reading slower than she was arranging it, I swear. <laughs> uh, but experience was amazing and we've never collaborated before. As, you know, as Jenny said, we were supposed to, it didn't happen. But one of the weirdest things was that when we did run through it first time, it was October. It was just a few months later since our idea of that. Um, we were kind of figuring out, we were just discussing some different versions of uh, how she would like to go about arranging it. And we kind of got mixed up with who had who score. And it's because we were both, we realized we both marked things down the same way. And that was one of those freaky moments. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we do really think very similarly when it comes to playing. And um, I'm learning a lot from Ksenia. Uh, when it comes to ensemble. I love playing in an ensemble, but there is a lot to learn from Xenia. (laughs) Slina, (laughs) not No,
1: no, no. The feeling is mutual. The feeling is mutual. (laughs) (laughs) We have a lot of fun. We have a lot
2: of fun. In every aspect of our collaboration, this is the freakiest part about this, is that we're incredibly, um, what is that word? We're incredibly compatible when it comes to being an ensemble. And I think mostly it's because there is a, a enormous amount of respect and trust, uh, first professionally, and then we also happen to get along and really love each other as friends. And it all comes together, but work always comes first. And because of that, we are highly efficient as a duo.
1: Yeah, really I I back all of that up. It's it's super special and not just because it is professionally sort of we're on the same wavelengths, but also as a person I just adore her and it's so much fun and I'll use any excuse to make a concert so I can hang out with her it's amazing yeah
0: that's that's I mean. the best <laughs> I mean.
1: yeah
2: it's it's very special every time and we we just laugh so we work really hard and rehearsals can be you know we are very honest and very direct with how we're fixing things but we just always laugh I just just always Dark humor. I mean, we're both Eastern European. We <laughs> <Right. laughs> <laughs> <laughs> have
0: gone through some stuff, I'm going to guess. <laughs> <laughs> That'd
2: be really dark, but we just, yeah, we just yeah. always have a good time. No matter how exhausted we are, we just work really hard and have a good time. And
0: just for my own curiosity, Liana, where is your, your background is from where?
2: Republic of Georgia.
0: Okay.
2: I mean, do you want to talk a little bit about the culture and all that just to get... Yeah, why not? That would be great. Um, The the culture is a kind of a mishmash of so many uh, religions and so many uh, cultures in a way that it was on the Silk Trade Road, an ancient trade road. And um, so we have a lot of, uh, in the language and in food and culture, a lot of Hindi and Persian influences. So that also kind of trickled into the music where we have a lot of Middle Eastern modes in polyphonic structure but also odd meters and all that so um, percussion is is a big part of music in general and music is a big part of who we are as a nation I mean there is no party without people singing and dancing and playing some instrument whatever instrument just pick it up play it we'll have fun Um, so as growing up as a Georgian for me Percussion and drums, that whole thing was so attractive to me. I mean, also it helps my dad is a jazz drummer oh, nice. <laughs> a little bit, mm-hmm. but th- that always drew me to it. But, you know, I grew up in a classical uh, school, very strict, all that, Schubert and all that. And when I came to Miami and all of a sudden realized, wait a minute, <laughs> you can collaborate with percussionists. My mind just blew up and I've never looked back since, to be honest.
0: Yeah. Well, it's it's uh, you're like it's funny to always hear to whenever a, a pianist is very much someone who does a lot of collaborative stuff, because I think a, a, our thought is just like, oh, they're in a box and they just stay in the box. And, you know, they, they got to do their Beethoven cycle and, you know, all that stuff and you know all that. But it's kind of cool that you've that the, the collaborative part has been just part of your upbringing kind of from the get go. For well, sure. Uh, that's
2: right. the reason I actually chose to become a musician from early on is to play with people. I solo I do as a career is an important thing to do, but mm-hmm. that's not where
1: my magic is, for sure. Yes. So, um, Alita plays table music. <laughs> that's the kind of pianist she is, you know? <laughs> She's an honorary percussionist. Oh okay. In my sense of the way. So yeah. Right for my doctoral recital, I can't believe I got away with that, but
0: <laughs> wait, did you you did you, she did the Thierry de May?
2: Yeah,
1: yeah,
0: yep. <laughs> I played the middle part. <laughs> All those parts are hard. It's it, there's nothing like you don't have to I know. downgrade yourself <laughs> on that.
1: But she's the only person who could ever play that piano part properly, you know, in in the piece. So hey,
0: <laughs> oh, that, that's so great. Uh, and I know that because you covered this one when I had you on. But if you could give kind of similarly a little bit of your um, background coming to the U.S. as well. I grew up
1: in Serbia, that's where I got my high school degree because I went to a music school and then my bachelor's degree and my background was in at first in piano and music theory and then when I was 15 I figured out what percussion was and I just said whoa I want to do this so at 16 I started playing. Um, At 18, I became a composition student at the Academy of Music there, and then I moved to the U.S. as a scholarship student. First, I was at Illinois State University, um, where I also went for a master's degree, but that was all in percussion. I ended up steering completely towards percussion, and then finally at the University of Miami for... I was there for for four years, Um, but Lika and I managed to miss each other by three months she graduated um a little bit before i came in so that's that's sort of our connection that's where we get that pool of people that connected
0: us you're aware of each other because because of the miami connection but you you hadn't actually interacted is that right
1: i remember where we first met i was visiting so my duo partner my percussion duo partner was liana's percussion duo partner at the time as we mentioned Mitya danielov and we were at Yale. I was visiting Dimitri and Liana and uh, Dimitri were preparing for a recording session, I believe. They played Piazzonore, which they played so well. If you haven't heard that recording, you have to go see it because it's the best one out there. And we met up in a coffee shop and I just remember being like, oh my God, oh my God, I've heard about her so much. Oh my God, I'm going to meet this person. And then you meet this super sweet person who's like a butterfly and she's amazing. But it was only for a second and then uh, they had to... Uh, go away so that was when we crossed paths physically uh, but we haven't really yeah until that failed project in 2020 we didn't have too many uh moments of contact
2: really actually it was really funny i don't know if you remember this but you know we've again we've heard of each other so much at this point you kind of feel like you know each other you know i woke up to ksenia i started speaking to her in (laughs) Russian, and she goes i'm serbian (laughs) oh my gosh (laughs) I feel like an idiot. <laughs> you know, I feel like she. Okay, I think she's gonna stab me with a fork here. I'm Serbian. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we have some inside jokes now going. We yeah, it, yeah, we we, we threaten bad. each other with physical violence all the time for the sake of comedy. It's yes. just what our that's your are.
0: greeting, Ksenia. That, that is that's, that's that how, is how you say hi to each other. We right,
1: have right. a knife. A knife trick we do when we see each other.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I hope to see that at PASIC. That you, I want that recreated. You got
1: You're it. Like, don't, yeah. don't mess the
0: hands. Leave <laughs> the hands alone. <laughs> Curious about, uh, for uh, Liana, were you a fan of Rite of Spring before this idea comes from Ksenia to you?
2: Oh, absolutely. Who isn't? But that's just in my my view of the world. I mm-hmm. mean, anyone that is alive and has a pulse, <laughs> that is a musician that can play. Um, I uh, on I think it was my masters that I I have played the forehand version with my teacher, and then later on played the other part with a friend of mine. So I have played. By the time we were talking about this arrangement, I have played in the past both piano parts. There's a forehand version um, that exists. Um, so yeah, I was I was. Familiar with the score, I kind of had it in my fingers of what's going to happen there.
0: And I I know that, uh, Ksenia, for you, you are the piece makes you weep, I think, on a daily basis. Is that pretty much accurate?
1: That is that is actually true. It is one of those where you would think you'd run out of goosebumps, but I never do. Lika played one part and then the other part. And then when she agreed to do this with me, I asked her to play one and a half part at the same time, which is just, could she grow like three more fingers and play more? Because I can't play 10 notes at the same time. And she did it. She did it. And you can see it all. 11, 11 at 11 (laughs) (laughs)
2: a.m. It's a fantastic score. Actually, I would say 100% that this score, this version as a pianist, this version works much better than the original forehand version. The original forehand version that is written by Stravinsky is quite awkward because it's meant for two players on the same keyboard and it's all over the place. And you just constantly don't have space to play what you need and things are kind of thrown around across the keyboard. But when you're just you as a player and then she combined a lot of it, it just became so much more organic and became more delicious to play. So you just... you just don't want to hold back, you just throw down.
1: <laughs> I think she is is always too kind. And I would just say she does not represent the opinion of the ensemble or of me. I think Sarinsky did a great job. And I couldn't have done better. But she's just always like showering with compliments too much. And then there's a knife dance, but you know. Sure.
0: <laughs> awesome. Can you talk a little bit, Liana, a little bit more about Okay, so you explained that that's awkward. Is the awkwardness because, let's say, because I've seen it performed, the two piano version, but I've never, I don't think I've ever seen it on one piano. I would assume that on two pianos it's relatively comfortable or even on two separate pianos it's still awkward.
2: That's a great question. It has different challenges to it because it's meant to be on the same keyboard. The communication has to be with the person right next to you. Mm-hmm. Now you're sitting much further apart and a lot of times you know when there are two piano configurations the players on an opposite end so you actually end up not being able to communicate a lot of cues like the last movement you just have to breathe the same way there isn't I don't remember the player's name but there are two brothers that uh, perform this on the same keyboard and do a wonderful job of that they do a great job
1: yeah that's my favorite performance of it too and they play it memorized which was mm-hmm. pretty cool yeah yeah yeah. Our version is better.
0: <laughs> of course it is.
1: Of course. Let me be
2: humble, real quick. here. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> right. We're the best. That's my starting point, and then yes. I will only get. I put it right on the,
2: right the banner, right here. Right, right. Yes.
0: Exactly. <laughs> yes. You you will wear a, you you will be carted out on with a with a full um, cape and scepter and uh, I'm giving you ideas. By the way, I mean that's free of charge.
1: Pretty, pretty good. We should start wearing crowns during
0: our yes. performances. Right.
1: All right, I'm writing <laughs> <some> down. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, you don't have to. We're recording it. We're we're set. This is perfect. Yeah. No, that that's that's super cool. Um, when you've I and mean, uh, Liana, going back to kind of the the communication thing, is it I'm going to assume you've done other two piano stuff at some point? Um, are you typically doing it as side by side or facing? What, or okay. do you have a preferred way that that you want you would like to have those kinds of pieces done?
2: When it's just two pianos, no percussion. Right. We're not talking no percussion now. Right.
0: Just the just the piano side. <laughs> I have a piano background. I have a piano undergrad, so that's this is this is coming out of me right now.
2: So. Um, the I would say that the most expected is on the opposite end so that the pianist. Is one of the pianists is not covered by the pian- pianist in front of them. But it depends. There is a Bartok sonata that you know for piano percussion and the pianists are sitting kind of uh, perpendicular to each other and the percussionists are kind of within.
0: Mm-hmm. That
2: works well too. Um, I think that the opposite ends is usually the easiest because you can also visually see each other a little bit if you're looking up.
0: If <laughs> yeah.
2: you don't have the score in front of you, you can kind of see I would say that's the most expected.
0: Ksenia, when you were you know, working up the the arrangements for this, were you putting down things where you're like, well, there's no, I'm just going to put this down because it's it's nuts and not expect Liana could do it. And then she'd be like, kind of like, is that all you got? Kind of, the, were you having like a back and forth like that? Or was she like, can you stop murdering me with all these notes? <laughs> <laughs> the second
1: the second note, no actually she has this very sort of uh nice masochistic note in her playing where she calls anything that's barely possible delicious and she's like oh no give me more give me more Like, let me play six lines at the same time right. <laughs> I've sent you a screenshot
2: where I wrote on top of the score I'm not an octopus I, can't <laughs> <play this. laughs> I'm British, I think is the glorification where there's like just so much jumping in no time uh while there's other things going on so yeah. um,
1: I, I, one. second one <laughs> We had to tweak really so so little, and uh, even less than that due to physical impossibilities that she claimed. It was mostly like, oh, this would sound better, and we did in the first uh, draft of the arrangement. I'm um, sort of as I was just throwing spaghetti on the wall, seeing what sticks when we played the first version, we realized, okay, maybe we should swap lines here actually, you know, color, coloristically it would be more interesting if I did this part and you did this other part. So there were a few conversations that if people check out our highlights video versus our actual recording are a little bit different, including the opening in the first version, the opening was hers. And then after I had a, a few sessions with composers sort of getting feedback on the arrangement, they, they have told me, oh, we should probably swap that around
2: The February premiere, the opening was on the piano. Yes. Wow. <laughs> oh, it does not exist in my brain. <laughs> that sounds so weird now.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, we had to block it out, you know. <laughs> <laughs> wow.
0: That's awesome. Because of the fact that that you know, Liana's instrument just has more fingers and, and obviously. Did you feel like you were just giving her too much? Or were you like, no, I think I could cover a lot of this. I'm gonna kind of go beyond maybe what my own playing could do while you were writing this, and, and like you started to kind of match up your own talents here.
1: I think really, realistically, that she does so much more of the heavy lifting, um, especially in that way technically her instrument is more versatile. She can hold notes. She can, you know, she has more resonance. Uh, but also it is, I I think what's interesting about this is that this is not the, the weird bird in the piece, right? We've heard piano play this multiple times. And so I think what it ends up being is that marimba plays 30 to 40% of the material really. And it's quite thinned out. It's skeletal structure, but, I try to balance it out by making sure that we both have equal amount of uh, forefront information to present, you know? Um, And so, or even in that case that the marimba carries maybe 60% of the forefront information and piano carries 40%. I mean, it's really, she pulled the short end of the stick here, Uh, (laughs) I feel like. But I mean, just trying to sort of in some ways level the, the load if possible at all. I think that's that's how that's turned out. But no, I think my part is not technically easy, but I don't think it's nearly as challenging as, as hers. And yes, I started, I wrote it first as like, this is what I'd like it to be. And then sometimes I've had to sim- simplify my own part, because I can't play parallel octaves at this incredible speed because, well, I'm not going to make this a Merlin for myself. It's not going to be that hill to die on. It sounds really great if only one hand has an octave, you know, <laughs> or whatever. Um, so
0: that's how that went. You can even say to Liana, I am not an octopus, and then realize that you <laughs> did it to yourself. And yeah, No,
2: no, no. I, I mean... We are definitely exaggerating. I feel like we're exaggerating just talking about the piano part because it's not that much more from the forehand version. (laughs) Just three hands, you know, (laughs) we often talked about this. (laughs) But really, the genius of the arrangement is that, you know, we, we, we don't even need to talk about whose bucket is heavier. It's just on the forefront is completely so equal and so fun and there is so much communication at all times that it never feels like one instrument is drowning out the other or taking over in any way. Is there is there is a, a constant communication with every single note that they're sewn in together and it makes it so fun. You're so in the moment. I feel like uh where if the audience were to go to Ride of Spring and listen to it, they don't have a choice to listen to it passively with this arrangement. You are inside swimming through it all together. You're, or, or, in a, inside of it's a tornado. Okay, we'll make it a little bit distant European. You're inside of a tornado. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think that's what makes this arrangement really unique, whether we play it or someone else plays it eventually, uh, is that every single note you are communicating, you're creating, you're, you're having a dialogue, you're telling the story together
0: tell me a little bit about how the the recording experience like i have to imagine that was insane because most recording experiences are
1: yeah yeah it was uh, <laughs> i'll just say from a personal standpoint um don't do it don't do- <laughs>
0: Do I need to give a timeout here or something like
1: that? No, I'll give the censored version. Okay, okay, fair enough. Everyone needs to know how many hours I've cried in the bathroom. (laughs) um, It was a single day thing, which um, from what we've heard a lot of smart people say was dumb to do. uh, Because (laughs) normally people would spread this out and have enough Time to eat or breathe in between and, you know, so on and so forth, especially because this was self-produced. We didn't have anybody. I mean, our engineer was lovely enough to sometimes jump in as a producer because I realized as I listened back to the recording that I wasn't sure what I was hearing anymore. You know, at hour nine, I was just like, oh, this is wrong. Oh, this is wrong. I'm messing this one up. And then I listened back and it was all right. I was just losing my mind. It was a super intense experience, but I think that it all translated really, really well. And for how this was a first timer for all of us. So it is Lika and I's first piece that we're playing together. Uh, Our sound engineer has never recorded marimba before, if I remember correctly, which is an issue. We're all in this hall for the first time, the four of us together. Our video, our videographer, uh, Ante Kolesik, was doing video for the first time in his life. I mean, it it was all like, oh, my God. And it turned out, I think, really beautifully. It was like alchemy. It was amazing. But on that day, I think we all uh, lost like 10 pounds of nerves (laughs) or something. (laughs) I'd love to hear what Lega thought. I mean, there was no way we were going to walk into the
2: one day recording of the Rite of Spring and feel like this is going to be easy, even though we were completely ready. We yeah. were so ready that the, the day before we decided not to rehearse. We we're like, okay, it's better if we save the energy and just completely rest and hang out, which was so weird. We're like, what do we, we're hanging out, <laughs> uh, but it, it was meant to be really difficult, and it was really difficult. It was just all about stamina, and you know, you just don't expect to work really hard every second every second of that nine hour session and I think it was such a great experience and that was the bonding experience because it wasn't feel good experience. This was really working hard and okay this is a tough situation. You have to you know go through this spot. It's a difficult spot. Physically you have to deliver it every time and separately it was a really fantastic experience to kind of go through it and look back and say, I did this, I could do this, this is wonderful, but also to understand each other very well. I think because of that session our duo became, um, I mean, we weren't even a duo at that point. We were collaborating. We never thought, we, we just wanted to do that for the sake of doing the the project, really. That was it. That recording happened, session happened walked away and grew from it. And a few months later, there was a relationship, I think.
0: Did the process of putting it together, did that include, you're, you're talking about, for like for instance how much of the piece were you trying were you did you end up recording at one like in in segments was was are you taking like were you going micromanage or were you, you doing like three minutes or something like that or, or how how was the what was the kind of the plan for how you were going to record it
1: we did runs mm-hmm. at first and then we went into movements and then if needed you know obviously you don't want to waste any more energy and you're running out of freshness. So then you might be like, okay, we're just going to do this section to make sure we have it in this one particular way. So you always start, I mean, I think ideally if we had had energy left in us at the end of that session, you would want to do runs at the end as well. But, and when you're unburdened and you know, you feel like you can experiment and have some fun with it and see what comes out. But definitely after nine hours of recording, we were all just face planting on that stage. So that, was not a possibility for us in this recording. But we went from big picture, so, you know, entire act, and then sort of chunking it down to smaller bits. And in the recording, eventually, what you always end up realizing is that those big sessions, uh, the big chunks that you recorded, they end up being the vast majority of the recording. And then those moments where you're zoning in on one note and just making sure that that's correct, I mean, that ends up being so... Just vibe-wise and energy-wise, not quite right. So it's interesting how always this big picture stuff turns
0: out to be more useful in the end. You'd have to make that sound like it really happened in the moment. And the the piecemeal stuff gets... You got to do a lot of audio jujitsu to make that (laughs) sound like that's what actually happened.
1: (laughs) Exactly, exactly.
0: Yeah. Uh, had had either of you, I know that this was the first time that you were recording together, but had either of you been on long recording projects prior to that, that were had a similar experience or or were, as people had explained, maybe you should do this in a couple of days?
2: Oh yeah, I think um, I can speak for both of us. We've done some heavy lifting prior to this. So this wasn't exactly, um, it didn't phase us. I mean, we were really exhausted and it was really hard in every way, but we weren't expecting anything less, I think. <laughs> I mean, it is the right of spring. Come on, it's the entire ballet. What? What do you want?
1: <laughs> yeah, it wasn't our first rodeo, but um, it all—it was the first time that I was producing. I don't know if it was your first time producing, Lika. Um, no, it wasn't. But the chamber. Um, and it was also the the most music that I've tried to capture in, in one day. I've had recording sessions that lasted for, you know, five days, and it would be one piece in the morning, another piece in the afternoon, and that would be, you would expect to record 10 minutes of music per day, not 35, 40. Um, so this definitely seemed like if it were normal pace, it should have taken three and a half days. Um, so... It was, it was a little different, but it was fun.
2: Absolutely. And, it, and it's a different mindset also when, um, you know, it is your arrangement. So there is so much responsibility on you to make sure, um, you know, that's why we decided early on that we wanted Xenia to be the executive producer because her arrangement is her baby. And there is just so much pressure that comes with that. You really need another person to just tell you, you're dad. <laughs> and we didn't have that person. And it felt like the three of us, you know, it was Xenia and the three of us, sometimes it felt like we wanted her to be comfortable with what was there. So neither of us was, no one was stopping it. And I I think that was awesome that we just kind of, we can always look back and say, we did this.
0: That was awesome. That's great. And I assume that there were moments when you, when you were both listening back and you don't, you'd kind of look at each other like that actually kicked ass.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so much. I mean, oh my God. I ended up thinking. I mean, I just remember being in my head in the recording. And there were those moments when they would try to pull me out of it. But I was like, no, I know better. And I know I can do better. And just like, shut up and let's record this again because I can do better. And then I listen back and I think, I mean in a good way this doesn't sound like me this is awesome and then I hear my sentence after that after that take being like this is horrible I need to do better and you realize that I just have too many people up there you know talking at me in my head Um, but yeah I mean I definitely was very pleasantly surprised when I listened I mean I got goosebumps from a certain you know from certain sections and I think those come from just not anticipating things and it was really moving which. I don't know it was really special for me
2: definitely i would say that, that there's so many especially when we we're submitting for the chamber music america and it was happening live in front was where they were they were watching our video uh that was that's when i kind of realized oh my gosh i can't believe we did this i can't believe we're because it when you're inside and you're playing it you're kind of not analyzing how difficult something is you're just kind of playing and you're communicating right and you're telling the story but when you're in a listener it, it's I, I, you know, I still kind of can't believe that we did this.
0: <laughs> Ksenia and I, have like, I've followed more of Ksenia's since she and I kind of know each other longer, but when was the first time that that you started to notice that it started getting traction that was not the normal uh, percussion drum traction, Ksenia? <laughs> You're like, wait, who's talking to me? From
1: <laughs> I can't, Lika, can you take over? I don't remember when it, I mean, none of this was normal, and I think uh, it was special regardless of the position in the percussion world, but maybe Lika remembers a little bit better of how this uh, momentum was created.
2: I think it was CMA. I think that's when it really, because, uh, you know, we we do have a very supportive community of our friends who are all musicians and all that, so we kind of Mm -hmm. they were really happy for us when that that whole thing happened. But when CMA happened, all of a sudden people that aren't pianists and percussionists started paying attention and reaching out to us. That's when, uh, I mean, that's when even we, had to come up with a name because we didn't have a duo, we didn't have a name or anything like that. And we had a coaching and we were told, look, you are at the high level, you need a duo name, you need a website, you need a Facebook, and we're like, oh we were so resistant to all of this. Oh, social media, we already have our account. We don't need another but we were told you need to do all of this. And sure enough, as soon as we started those social media accounts and webs and everything, it it kind of all blew up then. And it was really strange to get all these uh, people from universities or venues contact us that aren't percussionists or aren't pianists. So I would say that's what it was.
1: Yeah, I think uh, we also had a a really a lot of support even for the world premiere of this, which was live streamed. So, I mean, we played this at my university and uh, it was during the height of COVID. So we played masked and there were so few people in the audience physically, but I think the next day there were like seven hundred people who watched online, and that's not my regular recital number, you know. Um, it's not what? <laughs> I normally pull in a couple mil, okay, <laughs> <laughs> but none of them were as curious as this audience. No, but you know, it was. We definitely got a lot of traction. And I just remember our phones were blowing up, but it really felt sincere. I mean, people were leaving, were leaving voicemails and, you know, really going the extra mile to tell us how they felt about this. And I, we saw that. And then we realized that anytime that we talked to people in general about chamber music, so the getting out of the percussion corner, a great ticket of ours into being treated uh, or seen seriously was the fact that this was a very well-known piece and so I think the fact that you know we could tell anyone like oh do you know Michael Burritt or Ivan Trevino they wrote this and I think outside of the percussion community maybe not everyone's going to know that but I mean the Rite of Spring every single fan of the Rite of Spring will want to hear this and so that has I think been a huge influence on how this grew its its legs and um just People started reaching out. We started reaching out also more. I think we were really proactive about because we were so proud about putting this out there, about sharing this with people, um, and it blossomed from there.
0: I think I I remember you're like, the Wall Street Journal.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I'll ever get used to that (laughs) 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 one. you always be like, oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) fun?
1: Yeah, and now with this consideration for a Grammy, I mean, we did this in our backyard, you know, <laughs> like with the laptop we have, with our instruments, like, you know, without PR, without an agent, you know, it's, and yet it's, they're being considered for a Grammy nomination. That's, I think that's really, really special. You know, I, part
2: of the reason I think is because we don't, uh, treat this this product as a typical classical thing. We are thinking outside of the box. We are really pushing for it as an undefined thing. Really, like, why not? Why can we do this? Why can we do this? And we just really are pushing our boundaries. And we don't um, let anyone tell us, no, but this is a classical piece. You're not supposed to do it this way. And we, we don't. Well, for example, even the video, its we're not facing the stage and the wall. We're facing the audience. That's just how we want it. And I think it does tra- translate. And it's more relatable in some ways because we're kind of undefined in the not just the right or swing, but how we play, the fact that we're not even staring the scores, we're staring at each other. <laughs> and I I think all of that we're we're really just outside of the box kind of a
0: duo. I, I remember I I watched that original live stream and I was like, I, I I'm very I tend to be very, very skeptical of of arrangements anyway, just because of like if you hear the if you have the normal thing in your head. Um, or the original I should say, and you're just like you sometimes you want to hear the original again. But I I think not only the energy, but again the you know, the way you've described kind of foregrounding the way it's very much a collaboration between the two of you and not you Ksenia didn't ask you to, to accompany her playing <laughs> Rite of Spring, which is not the same thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Amen. Amen. <laughs> No, no, no. In, in all of the arrangements that
2: Xenia creates are definitely, I honestly cannot stand the accompanist, title in general, I would rather die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can you edit that part? <laughs> the word die? But oh, I, no. just, I just really cannot stand that whole aspect. I would rather quit and go work in Walmart. So we the way uh, Xenia treats arrangements is really just so fun to play.
0: Well, the other thing that's really cool is that I remember and I don't know if if I, I'm this is more to, towards Ksenia necessarily than than Juliana but I just remember thinking I, at some point when I was a master student I was trying to find a piece for piano and marimba that was that was more even and literally and this was in the 90s and literally my my professor was like it's really honestly it's like a concerto like nice <laughs> where the, concerto? where they are where they're playing what's that nay's nice concerto <laughs> it was a um it was it was, ne- was, ne- was kachero 1 mm-hmm. the vermichero <laughs> and and it was like yeah alright <laughs> but that's a reduction <laughs> like that's not a that's not a collaborative thing but it was like as close as we could get so it's really it's kind of almost a genre that's not you're using this piece to explore a a a chamber genre that doesn't really have representative lit i don't think
1: yeah, I and I think it's really, really strange because obviously, pian, I mean, you can you can find so many pianists that I mean, they're just so such fabulous musicians, right. really. And well, mine is the best, but if you know, if we just look at it, they they understand. That's texture. the heading for
0: the for the podcast. Mine is the right. best. Ksenia and Liana. <laughs>
1: Of course, But but they, you know, uh, and this is not to throw shade at any instruments that are mostly melodic content based, but they understand texture, they, they can groove with you. The instrument is so versatile. And yet, whenever they play with anyone else, they're constantly pushed to the back. And that doesn't make sense. But I think that there are really positive strides. If you look at Vasilana Serafimova and her duo partner, Tomas Enko, Um, They're in France. They're incredible, but they also make all of their music for themselves, by themselves. I think they do a lot of arrangements that are really interesting. Um, I love listening to them, but I feel like I mean, unless I am drawing a blank, I can't think of any other piano percussion duo that is quite as creative and sort of it's an even playing field for both players you know they're both equally important so for us this is just a starting point but definitely I mean I would never I mean I would be committing a sin towards humanity to put her in a shadow like and be like oh just follow me that would be horrible yeah and then I just start
2: playing everything 55 clicks faster (laughs) (laughs)
1: leave me in the dust
0: yeah yeah no, no. Yeah. Or or Liana, you, you give her the uh the orchestral reduction of rock three and just be like, <laughs> here we go. It's like see if you can make that happen on your little instrument. <laughs> 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 yep. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> because it hadn't had an how the name Vesna Duo comes from where?
1: Uh I mean Vesna is um Slavic. Pagan goddess of spring and fertility and rebirth. And obviously uh, the name of the piece is Rite of Spring. And Lika can help me. In Russian? Svishenaya. Okay, my accent was off. I apologize. Uh, and it just sort of made sense. This was our rebirth. This was really a springtime in our career it felt like but also i've been personally having a tiny obsession with uh slavic paganism and figuring out where i come from and you know religion from thousands of years ago from from my country and i think i imposed that a little bit on me. i was like how about we do this
2: it's great i love it, it it's such a smart name fantastic and it's easy to remember for Americans,
0: <laughs> for dumb, for, for dumb white men like me, it's good. I, no, it's fine. American,
2: it. Just you know,
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but my
2: son is American, so <laughs> I, I can joke about it. I don't take it personally.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but this is this is a name that is, for example, Vesna would be in Serbian, uh, is a typical woman's name, you know. So a lot of people have kids and moms and so on uh, whose name is Vesna. So I think in, if we were to play in Serbia, uh, it wouldn't be uh, Vesna, though, it wouldn't be that genius, but outside of uh, in Georgia, it would be 100%. Because in Georgia, yeah. it would be Tseminda <laughs> Gazabhuli. There you go. How about that? <laughs> Let me see if your pianist can do that. <laughs> Tell you she's the best. <laughs> it sounds like throwing daggers, but it's really just
0: the, the rite of spring. Yeah. <laughs> I think you had just posted, uh, Ksenia, the photo of you two running. Was it? Were you running at Central Park? The Brooklyn Bridge. Brooklyn Bridge. Yeah, and that to me is is the indication about how you two feel about each other. Like it's, unless you're both incredible actors, which again, all, you know, like I don't, you, you probably study lots of things. And so I don't want to put that past anybody, but it sure seems like you two have a real strong connection. Like that picture just makes it clear as do the ones where you're, you're sipping on adult beverages um, and cocktail and, you know, in evening gowns ready for a, a night on town, which is also fantastic.
1: It really is. We have fun in every moment, uh, whether it's picture taking or it really is honest. And I think I hope that that's why people notice that it's special because it's true. we're transparent and we have a lot of fun and I we did run and also fall through the cracks of of the Brooklyn Bridge together because we at first thought it'd be a great idea to be in heels and then we realized through trial and error that it wasn't so we put on some tennis shoes and ran and it was brilliant yeah it was
2: terrifying because those cracks are pretty wide I didn't really like I live here I never paid attention that much but uh, you could see the water. How <laughs> 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 well, bad can swim? Main thing for us, it's I'm having a hard time really describing this because we're. It's not about that we get along and have a good time, and that that's the prerequisite for us. Right. No, it really is. That I think that we're just hundred percent real all the time, and we're comfortable with that. I think that's what really makes it work for us. That we are. There is never. Oh, I need to accommodate other yeah, person is just you know there is because there is respect because there is a personal trust if the person is not in a good mood they're not in a good mood if they're having a hard time they're having a hard time and that's what makes it well but we do laugh a lot we just mostly make fun of each other so <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: there we were making fun of each other's running styles <laughs>
2: <laughs> and apparently i'm running like this with my fingers forward. T-Rex. I- yeah. <laughs> <T-rex running out. laughs> Gosh, my son' dinosaur obsession is everywhere. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that's amazing!
2: I'm gonna dress up as a T-Rex for basic. Then you'll see. That would be
0: the best. <laughs>
2: Oh, my God, we'll be so popular.
0: Oh, Oh, yeah. Well, I just want to hear you just get in that one of those full costumes. And I just want to hear the like all the plastic like hit each other as you're as you're playing. Like, I just want that secondary sound effect to happen.
1: It'll happen, but it won't be just any dinosaur costume. It will be sequined, of course, because we're always in style. With long earrings.
0: Yes. (laughs) Scientifically accurate, yes.
2: Most glamorous carnivore of all time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> obviously, aside from the kind of the the good humor that you have with each other, I the obviously the respect is very much comes through, and for sure the respect for the preparation you two have to do to make this work. I, I think that's very clear, and I and as kind of as you're saying the the fact of that respect from the the prep. Means that you have the freedom to cuss each other out (laughs) if you need to. No, seriously, like it's fine. It's it's going to be fine.
2: Yeah, when you know that the other person will show up completely prepared, it it does put you at ease. Yeah.
1: Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And then our curses are really creative and in multiple languages. (laughs) There it is. (laughs) Right. With direct translations in English, which makes it funnier.
0: Yes. Okay. <laughs> any other? Any other final thought? Aside from running like a T Rex,
2: the reason there is a lot of trust and all you know in our collaboration, and we have a lot of fun, is because we always show up prepared, and you know that, that the other person will show up prepared, and you have the comfort, you can relax, and there is the this mutual understanding. We never really talked about this, but we just always show up. Parts prepared, parts memorized. That's it. We're ready to go. It's never, let's see how this goes. Oh, well, and I'll practice. There is never that. We just show up, even if it's like we assemble things. A piazzolo we rehearsed twice before the album release. We rehearsed once in Miami and then the day before the release, and that was it. And because we, the, even the first rehearsal was memorized part.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's really if you work hard, you really get to play hard in both ways, like perform hard, but also just have a lot of fun. And yeah, it's, it's really, it's really strange. I think that concept where you are so, I think you're professionally so invested and you understand that you're equal that you create all this space for criticism because none of that is personal. And We of course have no qualms about whether anyone put in enough time. We're both doing overtime always, but it's just so easy to also be like, Hey, we're not doing so hot here. Are we? Let's, let's like pick it up. Let's change it up. Let's do this. Oh, I messed up. You messed up. It's, you know, I think what I I feel like that would spend, we would spend so much energy if we were trying to tiptoe around those topics. And we're just so honest. We're just like, Oh, sucks fix and easy, you know, you just do it. Right. So, um, yeah. I also like to mention how um,
2: Avishai's etude kind of just to, you know, became our kind of a standard to have fun with the audience. Cause there's usually at least one percussionist <laughs> sitting in the audience. And I don't know, I think you started this and we just kind of, it just happened every time. And now it's, it's a thing. Can you talk about the thing?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, we did this little encore piece uh well little it's not really little it's a really really tough mind-boggling thing but we didn't know what else to pair at the end of uh Stravinsky so uh we thought okay let's do this because it's it's a little bit fresh uh, and a different idiom, but still very exciting and it did turn out as Lika says that we always have a percussionist buddy in there and we can always get them up there to jam with us and we're gonna hopefully do the same at PASIC. And we were considering, even because so many percussionists know the Rite of Spring. Can we get them up there to play their excerpts with us? Like, can we be there, you know, track to that bass drum part or whatever? Um it's just really cool when you get to interact with different people and the the song that we're playing takes on a completely different vibe when there's a third person in there just grooving with us. So we really try to be in that way interactive with the audience and and sort of aware of who's around us. It's the weird sing along
2: ver the percussion version of the sing along we do.
1: <laughs> a little play along, yeah, yeah, for the percussionists. Yeah, that's fun.
0: Excellent. And what I think you cut out for a sec there, Castany. What's the what's the piece that that closing?
1: It's the the ever evolving etude by Avishai Cohen.
0: Yeah, I and I, I vividly remember that. The, the, clo- the closure, the concert, and the premiere. And it yeah. was super, really, really cool. So thank you. Awesome. So great to have both Ksenia and Liana on. And I look forward to more great things from them in the future. And side note, which I forgot to mention at the top of the podcast, I actually did get to meet both of them at PASIC, which doesn't always happen, but it was a pleasant experience, and I look forward to seeing what the future holds for them. This week's rave is the 2021 documentary, The Conductor, part of the Great Performances series on PBS and streaming on PBS at this time. I'd heard really good things about this documentary when it originally came out, but I just finally got around to watching it, and it is tremendous. The film tells the story of Marin Alsop, likely the best-known woman in the field of orchestral conducting ever, and a person who has broken more glass ceilings than many people can even think of. Her bio reads as a series of firsts. First woman awarded the Kusovitsky Conducting Prize by the Tanglewood Music Center. First artist to win Gramophone's Artist of the Year, and the Royal Philharmonic Society's Conductor Award in the same year. First woman appointed as conductor of a major symphony orchestra, the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra, which started in 2005. The first woman to conduct at the Teatro alla Scala in Milan, Italy ever, first time in 230 years. First woman to conduct the last night of the BBC proms. And the first woman ever to head a Viennese Orchestra the Vienna Radio Symphony Orchestra. And that's just the firsts. That's not nearly what her career has covered. But what's so great about the documentary is the way that it captures so much of both what it takes to make it in the orchestral conducting field and the barriers that try desperately to keep her out. The documentary discussed at length the many times she was told no, which were all by men, throughout her career, the built-in biases towards women at the podium and getting through and around the old boys network by creating an old girls network of conductors. This was started with her partnership with Tomio Taki, a businessman and arts entrepreneur who helped start the Concordia Orchestra that Marin founded earlier and bears the same name of the Taki Fellowship for conductors. It's clear that Marin made her way through the world by not only being very, very good at what she does, but making it clear that she would propel organizations that hired her to new heights. And what's most impressive is the way that she's bringing along a new generation of young conductors who are not white men. All those of her students profiled in the documentary are getting conductor and assistant conductor posts throughout the U.S. and are starting to form their own pipeline, though it should be noted that Marin is still the only woman who leads a major symphony orchestra even right now. There's also a lot about her relationship to Leonard Bernstein, who inspired her as a child with his Young Persons concerts. She ended up through the Tanglewood Institute having him as a mentor in the late stages of his life, and that no doubt helped propel her at the early part of her career. There's also a lot about her relationship to the city of Baltimore, a place long considered as bygone and forgotten, and the ways she's extended the relationship of the orchestra to the city through many partnerships, particularly for young children, including orc kids. And it also looks at her relationship to the city of Sao Paulo, another place that's kind of seen as bygone a little bit, where she was appointed the music director of their city's orchestra about a decade ago and has made that ensemble into the best of Latin America. An inspiring documentary about a true Groundbreaker, and Glassbreaker. Check out The Conductor, streaming on PBS. And that's our show. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment and a rating. You can always find every episode and the show notes at the homepage at petezambito.com slash Pete's Percussion Podcast, the episodes. The show is also on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcast locations. If you're on Facebook, like the page Pete's Percussion Podcast. You can find me there, on Instagram and Twitter at Pete Zambito or by email at Pete's at gmail.com. And I'll catch you next time. Happy holidays, folks. And we'll see you then.